Lucas on Life. Hello, I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. This week, it's Unsung Heroes. It's something that so many seem hungry for. Fame, being on a platform, recognised on the street, being asked for your autograph. Fame. Seems to me that some people are even famous for just being famous these days. There doesn't actually seem to be any noticeable talent attached to them. They're just well known. But are the famous, are the celebrities, the real heroes in our culture? As I've travelled millions of miles around the world, I've bumped into some genuine heroes, but their names are not in popular culture. No one would applaud them as they walk down the street. They wouldn't be recognised, but they are unsung heroes of faith. This week, let me introduce you to a couple of them. Noel is a fairly well-known person, award-winning musician, but actually in person, he's a really nice guy as well. I've had the opportunity to share quite a number of conferences and worship events with him. He is the real deal. Tonight, I went to what was absolutely the most wonderful Christian gathering of my entire life. I know, that's a big statement to make because I've sat through quite a few. I've attended desperately small groups where the guitarist only knew three chords and never succeeded in matching them with any known tune. I've been to large gatherings where virtuoso musicians, dazzling actors and graceful dancers have moved me with their art. I've heard stunning preaching, average preaching, and some sermons that have tempted me towards atheism. I've agonised through numbing three-hour-long services where angels probably gnashed their teeth as we sung that same ditty for the 45th time. I've inwardly winced as the worship leader gleefully announced that heaven is going to be just like this, only so much longer. Others greeted that announcement with claps and cheers. I fantasised about assassinating him, enabling him to enjoy the delights of heaven immediately. When it comes to Christian gatherings, I've been to more than my fair share. But tonight's, without doubt, was simply the best. There were only 15 or so people there, yet the worship was breathtaking, the preaching nothing short of epic, and the prayers electrifying. Jesus was there, smiling. And so, as it happened, was Santa Claus, splendid in a rich red coat lined with snow-white fur. It was an emotional evening. Laughter and tears mingled. I even spotted Santa quietly sobbing. You see, the evening was Hope's baptism. Hope is a young lady of 11 years of age, and she's suffering from leukaemia. The prognosis is very bleak. Save a miracle, there are just a few days left. Hope and her family know pain. Two years ago, Hope's dad died from colon cancer at an impossibly young 38. Now, Hope's mum, Diane, is married to lovely Justin, all smiles and care and support. Hope is already a veteran fighter. She survived an earlier battle with bone cancer, only to discover that she had leukaemia. And so we gathered, parents, grandparents, siblings and friends, to enable young Hope to declare her faith through baptism. She's bright and bubbly and looks completely healthy. 
Her smile is like daybreak, a dawning sun that sends shadows packing. The sermon lasted for just three minutes, perhaps more should. Diane, her lovely daughter, smiling up at her, tells us that hope believes in miracles, but she's not afraid of death. Hope nodded, peace and joy entwined in her. Diane told us that life is but a mist, the Bible says, and that soon we'll all be together. There was no scored bravado, no rehearsed rigid religiosity, just faith that bubbled over like clear cold water on a Sahara day. As Diane baptised her daughter, it was a priceless act of worship that stirred the heavens. Then came the prayers. First, Hope's brothers and sisters prayed out loud, their clear voices thanking God for the gift of her. Please, God, let her stay longer. And then Hope prayed. No child spiritual prodigy, just a little girl with faith. Thank you for my family and friends, she said. You are an awesome God. I just want your will for me. I love you, Jesus. Amen. I'd been determined to hold it all together, but I failed, shoulders shaking. It was a stunning occasion. Finally came the goodbyes and the gargantuan grace that is usually only found among those who have suffered much. The family thanked us for coming, kindness spilling over from broken hearts, perhaps unaware of the sign and the wonder that they'd just shared with us. And it was then that Santa cried. Isabel, Hope's little sister, was all dressed up in her Christmas finery, even though it wasn't Christmas. She looked gorgeous in her Santa dress, fur-lined. Her smile is broad too, with the chaotic teeth that make a seven-year-old so delightful. Now, as she hugged her mother tight, tears brimmed over her eyes. As we stepped out into the chill, I remembered that Christianity really is about our forever. Our message is that whatever hellish bullets life throws at us, there is a God, one who is tough at times to understand but is utterly reliable. Death, hell, pain, tears. In the end, he's beaten the lot, and we should remember that daily. Someone has said that we can be too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use. They are wrong. There's never been a human being in history who was too heavenly-minded. So thank you, Hope. At just 11, you're an unsung hero. You fully lived up to your name, beautiful lady. Tonight with you we shared faith, worship, joy and grace. Perhaps heaven is going to be like this only so much longer. A few weeks after the baptism, lovely Hope Mackenzie Herman died on January the 11th, 2008. She lived bravely and beautifully and died fully trusting the Jesus that she loves and loves still. It can be difficult to recruit the right type of person. That's where Premier Job Search can help you. Employers choose us because they're looking for people who want more than just a job. They want to use their professional skills to serve God every day through their work. Whether you need a compassionate care worker, a faithful fundraiser, or an anointed accountant, visit premierjobsearch.co.uk. Premier Job Search. All types of jobs for all types of people. premierjobsearch.co.uk Perhaps in most lifetimes there are only six or seven days like them. They're the epic days, the crossroads that signal that everything is changing, and most of all, the unalterable changes in us. But these days dawn in ordinary hues just like any other. 
We do not awake on those mornings to the clanging of an alarm that warns us of what is about to come. Usually, no angel stands at our bedside to offer comfort or to inform us that this is a historic day. It is just time to get out of bed again. Only when we look back with the clarity of hindsight do we see how cataclysmically wonderful or tragic that particular day was. As David Bell stared into the bathroom mirror on such a morning in February 2003, he noticed that his right eye was very partially closed. Rubbing it, he wondered if he was suffering from some small infection, or maybe a numbing clash of heads in last week's soccer game had caused his lazy eye and dull headache. Sixteen-year-old boys are invincible. They don't rush to fearful speculation with the nervous haste of those of us who've been around for a while and have learned that nobody is invincible. David was too busy with living at speed to get ill. A good-looking guy with a winning smile, he was an active member of his church, lead guitarist in a Christian band and an accomplished sportsman. But illness doesn't ask for convenient appointments. Instead, it strikes with devastating disruption. There was a biopsy and a shocking diagnosis. David was suffering from an aggressive cancer that was attacking the muscles around his right eye. He could be blinded or worse. David is the son of Stuart and Irene Bell, leaders of a church in Lincoln, England. This large, thriving, charismatic church is renowned for its vision, Bible teaching and balanced approach to faith. My wife Kay and I treasure the Bells as close personal friends. Stuart also leads the Ground Level Network, a coalition of churches scattered mainly around the eastern seaboard of England. Every August, around nine or 10,000 people gather for the one event, a high-energy holiday weekend of worship and teaching. The Bells, as a family, are passionate believers. They've been through the fire of uncertainty and trial before, when Irene suffered a bungled surgery that led to eight more. They'd faced that twilight period with fervent, prayerful hope. How would they cope with cancer attacking their youngest son? I remember the day I went to visit the Bells on the first day of David's many treatments. I was nervous as I parked outside the Leicester Royal Infirmary. I knew that David had a long, arduous journey ahead of him. There would be nine courses of stomach-churning chemotherapy, painful bone marrow tests, a heart echo procedure, a bone scan, CAT scans, and most embarrassing for a 16-year-old, a sperm count test. There would be too many days of wearying travel from Lincoln to Leicester. Radiotherapy would take its toll and David's schooling in the year of his all-important final exams will be disrupted. He won't be able to complete most of those exams. And this is where it all begins. The bells are entering what must look like a long, dark tunnel and there's no certainty that they'll all make it out to the light again. As I hug the family, I'm conscious of the unusual gift that I bought for Stuart and Irene, a bottle of champagne an incongruous present to be carrying into a cancer ward. I asked them to take the bottle home and place it somewhere prominent to remind them to look for a better day, a celebration to come when all this will be over. We laugh and we cry. David is stretched out on the bed, delighting the nurses with his cheeky humour and waiting for it all to start. He grins broadly. He's understandably nervous. 
Stuart and I sit for a while in the hospital cafe, stirring our lukewarm cups of tea. His cheeks are stained with tears, and his shoulders seem bowed by the pressure of the moment. A good father protects his child, but there is nothing he can do to prevent the barrage of intrusive treatments that start today for his David. But he can pray, and he does. I nod my heartfelt amen and I sip my tea. There's not much that can be said that makes any sense, but Stuart is resolute. He is going to navigate this storm with a firm grip on God. An hour later, we're all laughing again. It's time for David's test to begin, and so Stuart, David and I walk over to the sexual health clinic. I decide that it's time for me to lighten the proceedings, and so our walk to the clinic is peppered with some predictably laddish humour. David has to answer some embarrassingly personal questions in front of his dad about the procedure to come, and finally he disappears into a room to do what has to be done. Stuart and I sit nervously in the waiting room. Finally, David emerges, sample cup held high, and Stuart and I shatter the sombre silence of the waiting room as we stand on our feet, clap our applause and cheer loudly. David laughs and the other patients wonder if we are mad. Stuart and Irene had a problem. They believed that God was still in the business of physical healing, but they'd already limped through a traumatic few years during which Irene had been wheelchair-bound for a while, so now how do they respond to this latest challenge? They wanted to remain open to God's miraculous intervention and also to be balanced, realistic and responsible. The eyes of their church were upon them and the steps they took would impact many. But far more importantly, their son's life was in the balance and their primary responsibility was to minister to him and they urgently wanted to get this right. There were times of hesitation for Stuart. David would ask for assurance. I will get well, won't I, Dad? Stuart wanted to be absolutely truthful yet totally hopeful. He affirmed that yes, he believed that David would be well again. And Stuart put legs to his hopeful words as he called 30 close friends to daily urgent prayer. Every night they would come together, alternately battling in urgent intercession and then gathering around David and taking loud authority over the cancer in his body. Stuart said succinctly, we went to war. Sometimes people of faith have mistakenly dismissed the help of medical science, seeing prayer as the only legitimate answer. But this little brand of prayerful warriors prayed for the doctors and the specialists and thanked God for them. To his disgust, David gained weight and his hair fell out. Early scans were positive. The tumour seemed to be responding to treatment. Hopes were high, but fear was never far away. I remember the last night of Grapevine, 2003. Now it's known as that one event. David, 35 pounds heavier now because of the treatments, and a black woolen hat disguising his baldness, has played a concert in one of the youth venues, and now his father is drawing his sermon to a close. Stuart has preached with power and insight on Paul's words to the Ephesians, stand firm on the evil day from Ephesians 6.13. Now Stuart calls Irene and then David to join him on stage. There's no hint of melodrama in this moment, just a simple, profound portrait of a family standing together in a time of huge pain. A song has particularly sustained David. It is My Glorious by Delirious. 
God is bigger than the air I breathe. This world will leave. God will save the day. And all will say, my glorious. Thousands of voices cry out in prayer and in song. God, please save David. Other family members and friends join the huddle on stage. Suddenly David reaches up and takes off his woolen hat and his bald head gleams in the stage lights. God, please save David. The crowds are long gone. By now, I'm back home in Colorado, and my mobile phone beeps. There's a message. It's David, who's always had a soft heart, but seems now to want to express himself with an openness not characteristic of a typical 16-year-old. His message, it's warm and funny, irreverent even. And then he signs off. Actually, Jeff, I really just telephoned to let you know that I love you. See you soon. Bye. Months now have rolled by, and the bells have learned some unforgettable lessons. Fear is what we must fear, says Stuart. He's learned the power of hyperactive imagination, how just a flicker of concern spotted on the face of a cancer specialist can send a parent into a downhill spiral of depression and terror that can last for weeks. They've also learned afresh the power of sustaining friendship, and they wonder how some families face such trauma without the support of prayerful friendship that the church offers. And they've discovered something that Stuart has dubbed strange grace, the special power that only shows up when we're at our wit's end. They're proud of their son, for their child has become not only a man, but a man of God. They've watched him get on with life as best as he could, playing in the worship team, attending practices, playing soccer when energy levels allowed it, business as usual. Cancer is always an unwelcome visitor, a fearsome stalker. But life has to go on even as you fight it. The mortgage still needs paying, the church still calls for leadership, and life doesn't press a pause button while great battles are fought. The fight is an additional pressure. The results are good. Very good indeed. David will need to endure frequent checkups for a long time to come, but all trace of the cancer is gone. There's a celebratory party, and there are balloons and streamers and champagne bottles everywhere. I'm invited to speak, and I talk about bar mitzvah, the coming of age of a young man. Prayer warriors are thanked, and then the bells invite a smiling group of doctors and nurses to step onto the platform. They are wildly applauded for being the heroes that they really are. Later that night, in the Bell's home, a bottle of champagne is lifted off the mantle where it has stood for 15 months. We pop the cork and we share a prayer of thanksgiving. This was no naive toast. We raised our glasses with the full knowledge that others are called to celebrate when their prayers are not answered as they wanted. Today, some will lift up their eyes to the God who did not spare their loved ones from death, but in death. Fear lingers longer than cancer. And so there are times when David stares into the mirror for a very long time in the mornings, wondering if another epic day has dawned. But all really is well. And there have been some unexpected bonuses from the unwelcome and unwanted journey. A children's charity arranged for David to meet Elton John, and then Eric Clapton, Photographs of him with the two rock legends proudly adorn the family home. And then there have been some unexpected battles too, with an unrational guilt because he has survived where many others have succumbed to the evil that is cancer. But David, you are the youngest hero in my life. 
You met the challenges head on. You were honest about your fears. You held on to God with a tenacious grip and you showed me and many others that faith works best when you find yourself in the furnace. You've learned at such a young age how to live life out loud. Your hair has grown back, the extra pounds are shed and you have a beautiful wife now in Sarah. The cancer has been tamed but you are left with a fighter's heart. God certainly is our glorious one who lifts up our heads. I'll never forget the night we sang that together. And David, you taught me that those are far more than great biblical lyrics to a truly wonderful worship song. It's the truth. We've been thinking this time about unsung heroes. Maybe you know one. Let them know what you really think of them that they too are heroic. See you next time.